Everybody has their curriculum. Okay, so let's uh, let's uh, begin with a uh, word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this uh, day, first day of the week, um, and as is entirely appropriate, uh, we gather to give attention to the scriptures and fellowship with the people of God, and certainly on this uh, uh, blessed day and time to uh, meet our living Savior in the sacrament at his table. Pray that all might be meaningful, instruct our faith, and uh, increase our affection for uh, Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. One uh, final additional word on uh, uh, systematic theology, which is really the approach we're taking in the class. It's a, it's a systematic approach, as I think will become evident to you. And uh, oftentimes, uh, for evangelicals, it's been my um, observation, uh, may, or not, may, may or may not be true uh, uh, to, uh, to y'all, but the struggle with the concept of systematic theology. And as I mentioned last time, uh, God gives us the scripture, and uh, he gives... Um, implicitly a duty to the church to understand what the scriptures are saying about critical elements of our faith, like uh, who is God? Um, how, does he, how does he accomplish our redemption? Um, what is the nature uh, and government of the church that uh, he, he begins? So uh, it is an attempt to get you to begin to, to think systemically. Uh, now, how does someone like me deal with problems? Because I struggled with this a number of years ago. Uh, uh, because the Bible is not a systematic theology. It contains all the information. Uh, again, the church is to do that. It has done it. Um, uh, by and large, if you ever go in search of a systematic theology, uh, not very many have been written in the last few years. Most of them uh, come to us from um, uh, the 19th century and earlier. And it's very interesting to me, they come from the Reformed faith. That's not to say there aren't um, semi-Pelagian, Arminian systematic theologies. Um, you know, the Catholic Church... Um, you know, there's their, I mean, there's there's the catechism, so I guess that would be their systematic theology. Um, I'm not as familiar with the Orthodox Church, but I'm not aware of of, uh, of the Orthodox Church having a systematic theology. Uh, but the Reformed Church does. Now, to me, it's very instructive. Um, so, what do I do when I encounter problems? As I look at, as I try to struggle with a systematic uh, approach and I struggle with things that maybe aren't really clear to me, uh, I do what um, um, y'all do uh, when, um, just to use kind of a crummy metaphor, uh, you go to the butcher shop and you bring home a quality of meat that is really less than you wanted. Uh, in my case, I'm going to cook it for a long time, maybe throw it in a crock pot and just cook it for you know, however long my wife tells me to cook it. 
um, generally on slow, and it might, you know, so it might take several hours, but generally it renders uh, a fairly tender product. So be willing to take time, and lots of times in my life, in terms of scriptures, I cook things. I just don't have an immediate answer or resolution, but I know the scriptures do, because remember, one of the great truths that comes out of the Protestant Reformation is scripture interprets scripture. If you're in a tough verse, there's probably a clear verse somewhere else. Because God uh, God is not trying to trick us or hide things from us. Uh, he gives us the Scriptures for a reason. So, um, uh, let's look at... Uh, I talked uh, last week a little bit about Volume 1 of Revelation. That's nature. Uh, doesn't tell us how we are... Uh, 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 how we can come to faith and be saved. It, but, it, but it does judge us, because if there's a Creator, and uh, uh, we believe there is a Creator, and He's created, it means He is God. And He's going to hold us accountable. So it's, it, it is, in a measure, effective uh, uh, for judgment. Uh, the natural man outside of Christ suppresses that. That's what Paul tells us about the natural man in uh, Romans chapter 1. He suppresses the truth. He tries to hold it back. It confronts him all the time, but he just he suppresses it, and then sometimes his his heart is just hardened. Uh, uh, volume two of Revelation is special revelation, and again that's that's scripture. Um, two authors, divine and human. Uh, Paul sits down to write, for example, the uh, First Corinthian epistle, uh, and uh, he produces uh, inspired words. He's not inspired, but the words he produces are inspired. So let's turn to a verse that I think uh, probably the best. Uh, there are many, uh, but 2 Timothy um, chapter 3 is a verse I'm sure all of y'all are familiar with. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Okay. Uh, the immediate context is the Old Testament because the New hasn't been completed, but, but I think it's entirely proper to make the application to both Testaments, Old and New. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Notice, notice the purpose that God gives us to Scripture. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be uh, adequate, uh, equipped for every good work. So it's a purposeful document. Um, and uh, we should hold it in the highest regard um, because the words are inspired. Uh, in, in, in the Greek text, uh, uh, the word uh, inspired um, is uh, literally God-breathed, theopanoustos. God breathed. So those are His words. And, and, and the remarkable thing for me is God uh, has left us His words to tell us uh, the way of salvation and the promises of salvation uh, and everything we need to know about salvation. Now, is everything revealed in Scripture? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, uh, and uh, it's, I think, worthwhile to remember that uh, the Scripture is not a complete history book. It contains history, but it, 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 
it, it has no real intent to give us a complete history book. Okay. Um, sometimes critics say, well, the history here is, you know, why didn't Daniel understand this or whatever. Uh, doesn't claim to be a history book. It's a book about salvation. So, so it's God, God breathed. Um, uh, to press another metaphor upon that, to me, God takes those words, freezes them, puts them on pages. Eventually, uh, in the councils of the church, they're collected. Uh, they form Old and New Testaments, and they're given to the church by the providence of God. And, and, and the providence of God in preserving the scriptures is really a remarkable uh, historic event. Um, let, me, let me talk uh, about that a little bit because on, on occasions you hear things like, well, isn't the Bible full of errors and uh, aren't, aren't there mistakes in the Bible? How can you really trust it? Yeah, on and on and on. Um, uh, it is true that in the process of time, as you might well imagine, as people, uh, uh, more often than not the church or in the Old Testament, uh, uh, the Masoretic scribes took uh, the original manuscript of, say, Moses or whomever and began to copy it. What happens when we copy things? Well, yeah, mistakes are going to come in. I mean, it's just, you know, imagine some, some scribe, he's kind of trying to crank these things out, maybe as a goal. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a uh, uh, a perfect historian on that. But just over time, uh, they're going to get tired. Their eyes might skip a line. Their eyes might reduplicate words because they think, well, I didn't put that in, better put it in. So those kind of really minor things come into the Scriptures. Okay? Um, and God, God does something else in His majesty. He gives to the church. Uh, he gives to scholars the job of doing textual criticism. Okay, it's just the science, uh, sometimes art, of uh, taking the text to, to restore it uh, to the best of our knowledge and ability to its uh, autograph or original form. Okay? Uh, we don't have any of the autographs. I mean, imagine books written thousands of years ago think the original document uh, you know, would be preserved? Now, it's very instructive that they were written in the, uh, you know, the ancient Near East, some of them Egypt, where because of the weather, they were remarkably preserved. Okay, But things get lost, they wear out, they're, they're worn out as different scribes and scholars are trying to copy it. I mean, things happen. Any of y'all who maintain a home, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Over time, things break. So, um, but God, God expects us to be responsible and to use our best efforts to preserve things. Uh, and so it's the science of textual criticism. Now, parallel, if it helps you understand, in the, um, in the literary universe, same thing occurs. Do we have the original manuscripts of, I don't know, 
Shakespeare's Hamlet. And there's a lot more ancient documents than that. If anyone here majored in English and at the university, you know, uh, I mean, there are scholars. Uh, C.S. Lewis was such a one who who looked at his particular discipline. Okay, well, same thing there. And th- guess what they have to do? Textual criticism. Okay, so it's not. You know, people try to hold us to a higher standard. Uh, we're using the science that we have, the science that we know. Uh, we're using what scholars use um, uh, to, to try to preserve. Uh, it's my own personal opinion that God has preserved the autograph, uh, but we don't have the original. I quite frankly think if we, if we did, that'd be in some um, church museum somewhere like the Vatican and people would go worship it. Okay. Well, we don't, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. And that's what human beings do. So I think in a measure, uh, we just need to use some common sense. Now, it's very interesting. I mean, as you know, uh, uh, there was an incredible manuscript discovery uh, called the Dead Sea Scrolls that occurred, uh, I think, around 1948. Uh, I really can't tell you how long the process went on, but a little shepherd board, those are... Those, if memory serves me, throws a rock in a cave, and he hears an unusual sound. He goes in to investigate, and his rock had hit um, some containers uh, where uh, men had hidden uh, books of the Bible, okay? um, particularly Old Testament. Uh, I'm just going to talk about one of the manuscripts. They they discovered uh, an almost uh, complete manuscript of the book of Isaiah. Uh, And so this has been in that cave for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And then Isaiah was written long, 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 long time ago. So the outcome, uh, the book of Isaiah that we have today has remained virtually unchanged over these thousands of years. I'll just use that as an illustration that we don't need to be timid about... um, uh, the doctrine of inspiration and God's providence in preserving His Word. Okay. Because that's what God does. He's not going to trick us. He's not going to hide from us. Uh, he's not going to say, well, uh, uh, you lost it, so uh, I've done my part. You better do yours. Uh, I mean, God's a gracious God. So we can have sure and complete confidence. And when the critics, as is very often the case, uh, try to wage war against the Scriptures, yeah, they can wage war against their own documents. Um, for a number of years, there were men who, obviously within the church, because churchmen sometimes try to corrupt the truth as well, uh, particularly in the end times, end time deception that is at work, um, say, well, Moses didn't author, you know, first five books of the Bible. I mean, there were multiple authors, so on and so forth. And, um, They've come to us over years and so on. Yeah, they're always coming up with these novel theories. Uh, you know, many, many of them that I'm aware of, if not all of them, just been debunked. Okay. Uh, um, so there is a parallel, I think, in the literary universe. I know there's a parallel there where they have to do textual criticism too. And yet scholars still study Shakespeare. They still study Homer. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's turn to another um, another text, Second uh, Peter. Uh, 
uh, chapter 1. These are two pretty standard texts. They're not the only ones. Uh, but they're perhaps the, uh, um, often used for exactly what I'm trying to use them for. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Okay? That's our doctrine of inspiration. Spirit of God moves upon the prophet Jeremiah or Isaiah or Hosea or case of the first five books, Moses. Moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So they are His words. Okay? Frozen in time. On pages. Given to the church. So, at Grace Bible Church, we hold to the inspiration of Scripture, that the words were God-breathed. We understand that it directly, immediately applies to the autographs, but we make an application, in this case, to the English Bible. Technically, the English Bible is not inspired, but uh, we treat it uh, in that category because we believe in God's providence. The autographs are, are in here. Um, now, if they are, if they are God breathed, inspired by God, and they are His words, as uh, Paul and uh, Peter tell us, then they are authoritative. In other words, they have, because they're divine, they're authoritative. Uh, you know, the scriptures are filled with commands. Uh, the scriptures are filled with phrases like, thus saith the Lord. Okay. Um, with the grace of God giving us His Word, there is an implied duty and responsibility all of us to study them, to show ourselves approved uh, before God, to know them, um, um, to wrestle with them, if you will, to cook them uh, so that we can... Uh, uh, mine their profitability for our souls and for the life of the church. Um, and and uh, uh, one of the uh, elements that comes out of the Protestant Reformation as a Reformed church uh, is the Latin phrase uh, sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our final authority. Uh, I talked very briefly about the Roman Catholic Church that has a three-legged stool. Uh, scripture, tradition, uh, and uh, uh, the magisterium. Um, we obviously reject two of those. Uh, and, and, and yet we give high regard to tradition, uh, high regard to uh, not the magisterium, but say... Um, um, great academics and scholars that are in our tradition, but they are not final authority. Scripture alone is final authority. 
I mentioned last week something that's important. There are numerous authorities in the church. But the final authority is Scripture. Okay, Like the elders determined that Sunday school would be from um, um, 9.45 to 10.30. I, I, I can't find that in Scripture, can you? But that's just general rule we follow. Our worship service, 11 to 12. Can't find that in Scripture. Scripture doesn't tell us. The church was just supposed to meet, give attention to the Scriptures, timing, um, and churches different. They're, they're all different. Um, I had a person uh, who's an acquaintance of mine who attends the Orthodox Church on 150th. He said, our church, our, our meetings last for two hours. Yeah, whatever, it's, you know. Um, that's what they want to do. That's up to them. To me, that'd be difficult for families with young children. You know, that'd be, um, you know, when I was a child, throwing paper airplanes and starving to death and so on and so forth. So, yeah, just, you know, generally speaking. So you can kind of figure out your Sunday. So, um, so lots of authorities. Um, typically, uh, uh, um, a lot of the authority congregates around the elders because we believe God appoints elders to rule over the life of the church for its spiritual profitability but there's you know we have a deacon and uh, he gets involved in you know taking care of the building different issues uh, you know again um, but but the ultimate the final authority uh, in other words if I'm preaching from the pulpit and I create you know I mean I say a problem uh, I say an issue with you and, and you might say something like, uh, Phil, where does it say that um, um, uh, women, um, ladies, have to wear dresses? You know, maybe I'm pounding the table. Got to do this. Got to do that. Uh, women can't wear makeup. You know, it used to be a problem, by the way, in the early 20th century in the church. I mean, if you were wearing makeup. You were, you know, belonged to another tribe, so to speak. That, I mean, I don't know anywhere the scripture says they can't, so it's it's an issue of Christian liberty. You know, so again, but let's say I said that, you could say, well, Phil, would you show me in scripture? Where one of the authors says, you know, uh, or, you know, men can't do thus and such. So, yeah, so I, think you, I think you understand my point. This is the ultimate authority. And uh, I am answerable to it, and uh, I'm... I, I will be held to a higher standard of judgment when I, you know, stand before God. So kind of a, you know, for me, kind of a terrifying thing. Uh, thankfully, uh, God gives us provision, duty, and responsibility. What else did He give us? Grace. <laughs> so I mean, without grace, we, we, we'd all be in trouble. So God's a gracious God. Okay. Um, um, in uh, give you another illustration in the Orthodox Church they hold that the Greek translation of the Old Testament the Septuagint uh, is, is, uh, is the inspired word of God uh, but again it's a translation so um, we just need to understand um, basic critical 
uh, critical elements um, about um, history and what is received by the church, uh, what what constitutes the canon. Uh, uh, to me, the canon is the old books in the Old and New Testament. As you know, the uh, Orthodox Church expands upon that as, as does the Roman Catholic Church because they bring into their scriptures apocryphal literature. Uh, um, here's another text that I think is, is quite helpful. Uh, comes uh, comes from the book of uh, uh, Jude in verse 3. Uh, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, okay? So he wants to write to the church about their common salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing to you that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. God has delivered the faith to the church. And we're to respect it, honor it, and see it for what it is. Now notice the reason, just, just to kind of complete the thought. Another reason Jude has this compelling necessity to change his mind about what he's doing. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, crept into what? The church. They've crept, they've, they've snuck in. Crept in the notice, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So there's a danger. So he's responding to that danger. Okay? Because we're, we are responsible to protect uh, and defend uh, among God's people what God has left to us, once for all delivered to the saints. Okay? Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 and uh, 2 to 5. Um, I'll just turn there uh, very quickly. Um, so he leaves us his common salvation. What do we do with it? Okay, we just, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the history of uh, Reformation, uh, a lot of uh, Roman Catholic churches didn't believe that the common man should have access to the scriptures. Only the priests. So they might chain the Bible to the pulpit. You couldn't get to it. You, you might profane it. Well, here's what God tells us to do. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience, instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure a sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myth. I happen to believe that those um, verse 3 is, is occurring uh, is is occurring as I speak uh, in every church all over the world uh, so that uh, uh, God's institution of the Scripture and His church and what He's left to the church is under attack. And it's always been under attack, 
it shouldn't surprise us, but it, it kind of heightens a sense of duty. Um, um, uh, reading in uh, Amos chapter 8, 11, uh, here's the prophet. Um, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather the hearing of the words of the Lord. Okay? The hearing of the words of the Lord. Contextually, what's occurring here, Amos says, so when the Lord comes in judgment, people will be frantic to find answers. But it's too late. So, um, uh, it's good to, good to realize that again, I believe that famine is now. Um, has lots of implications for us, but uh, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are committed to Sola Scriptura, we're to have a high regard for the Scriptures and we're going to faithfully preach them because that's a duty that elders have. Uh, so, um, Zechariah chapter um, 11, um, 16 and 17. Uh, God in His grace says, Behold, I'm going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off his hooves. Um, uh, you know, God's telling us that false shepherds are going to come into the church. Okay? Um, Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. In other words, he's disqualified God's eyes. And so, guess what Jesus does when he comes to the nation of Israel? He pronounces those woes upon them. He says, you, you are bad shepherds. Talking to the teaching uh, institution, staying the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay, John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. So God in His grace providing for the church. I am the good shepherd. God gives us a good shepherd who's going who's to give us His Word. Um, technically speaking, uh, uh, I hold two offices in the church. Uh, I'm an elder, so I rule in the church. Also a teaching elder, uh, so I, 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 I teach in the church. So technically speaking, I'm an under shepherd. Under what? Well, of course, under the scriptures, but under the good shepherd. Okay. Remember, I read to you. I think think I read to you last uh, week um, that uh, you know those uh, uh, those who who teach uh, have a greater duty and responsibility and will give an account before God. So bad shepherds are going to stand before God someday and say, uh, why did you um, uh, lead my people astray? So uh, for me, it's a, um, it's, a, it's, a, 
it's a check on bad behavior. Uh, it's a check on laziness. It's a check, oh, you know, be sloppy, they don't care, you know. Um, because it's because it's the word of the Lord. You know, we, we handle it as as it is. Um, you know, the uh, you know, there there are things, ladies or gentlemen as well, in your home that are very valuable to you for whatever reason. Maybe they're a keepsake from your great great grandma. I mean, I don't you can fill in the blanks and descriptions. So you you honor it, you treasure it. Okay. Um, um, you know, maybe you have a sterling ship, uh, sterling silver um, um, water pitcher. You don't let your grandsons play with it in the backyard in the sand lot. At least I don't think you would. Okay, so I mean, so you know, I'm just applying that to the scriptures. We we treat it as it is, uh, document of uh, a document of great value. Um, uh, our distinctive here, I'd like to kind of close on this note, and then uh, if you have any questions, please, you know, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about it. Is that when we come together on Sunday mornings, um, it's our desire uh, to meet God in the Scriptures. So I'm trying to, if you will, bring that philosophy to the pulpit. And as you are interacting with the sermon as well as the text that is before you, you in your subjective life and experience are quote-unquote meeting God. Um, sometimes it's intense for you, sometimes it's not. You know, I suspect if you have some great need in your personal life, whatever it might be, and, um, 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 you know, you're wondering if your life is spinning out of control or whatever's going on, and, uh, you know, God has the scriptures for you, and, and maybe in God's providence that very morning, uh, God has a, you know, we're in a, we're in a right text for you. Uh, I don't know that. I don't determine that. I just have to trust the providence of God. Okay. Uh, but philosophically, that's what we're trying to do to help you meet God in the scriptures. You and your subject. Now, it's an ex- in that case, it's experiential. Uh, hopefully, it's objective from the scriptures. Because when I'm studying the scriptures, I'm trying to check my feelings. Who cares about my feelings? Okay. Well, I mean, I do, but you know, you're not over concerned. You probably shouldn't be. But, but the, the reason I emphasize that is our culture has become a feeling culture. Okay? How often do we hear in our lives, I feel? Okay? I feel. Um, sometimes that's appropriate, you know, if you're consoling a child, you know, you have deep feelings, you love your children, you want to protect them, so on and so forth, but uh, you're, you're, on a search for, you're on a search for truth, you know. 
you don't, you don't really want your physician, who hopefully is an expert in the slice of care that you're going to him for, to say, you know, maybe this will work, maybe it won't. I, I kind of feel, I kind of feel it might work for you. I mean, you want this guy to be saying, you know, I've done a lot of research and to the best of my studies and in interacting with my colleagues and doing research in the you know, field of medicine, uh, this is what we need to do. Okay? You, want, you want some measure of objectivity and definitive statements there. Um, but our, our culture is dominated, just absolutely dominated by feelings. I grant you there's sometimes a place for that. But by and large, uh, uh, we are uh, in a time of intense famine of the Word of the Lord. And I'm not talking about with pagans. I mean, I, I get that. Why, why would a pagan uh, be interested in Scripture? Uh, it's, it's in the church. Remember Jude 3. Certain men have crept in unawares. Because Satan is what? Always, relentlessly, 24-7, attacking. It's one reason you need to read the Scripture on your own. We do this here on Sunday mornings, but hopefully you have some type of devotional event throughout the week. Okay? I don't tell you when to do that. You know your schedule. You are you. <laughs> you know. Um, but but you, 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 know, you, you really should be studying the Scripture in some manner or form. Uh, you should have some type of devotion. Um, so, um, and uh, the way that I try to do that is with biblical exposition so that um, if you were here uh, a few months ago uh, and I said something to the effect or I began to act out to the effect uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And I'm starting there, and I'm going to go, the Lord willing, all the way to the book of Genesis. I am not saying that topical sermons are wrong. On rare occasions, I, I might do a topical message on something, but it's kind of rare. I believe the best way to do it is just go systematically through the text. Now, I'm not looking at every individual text per se. I've looked at those texts in my study and preparation, but I'm also trying to unify that text in a coherent whole, and I know I fail at that, uh, perhaps more often than not. I'm trying to unify it uh, uh, so that I'm, I'm not trying to shoot a shotgun at you I'm trying to shoot a rifle with a particular target. Um, um, and I am, I am taking that text and relating it to the context, to the book of Genesis as a whole, uh, to the literature of Moses, to the theology of Moses, ultimately to the theology of the Old Testament, and comparing it to the, to the more superior revelation in the New, because the New is more superior to the Old because it's newer, um, uh, and it's, it's clearer. Um, I'm looking at systematic theology in uh, the church, 
I'm looking for biblical theology, in particular redemptive history, to, to relate it, um, yeah, hopefully, uh, to the theology of redemption. Um, and um, um, that's, that's just simply a procedure I'm, I'm trying to follow as I'm going through Genesis 1-1 to the end of the book. Because to me, that is the best way I can protect you against deceivers that come into the church. Okay, So if I'm doing some sermon and I'm just hop, skipping, jumping around and there's no really coherence, as you know, you can prove almost anything from the Bible. But you got to relate it to the context. you got to relate it to the author, what he's doing, what he's saying, his literary... Per- I mean, this is literature. This is purposeful literature. So we've got to tie all those things together with the authorial intent both human and divine, uh, and uh, uh, deliver that by God's grace to God's people. Okay. So, uh, you know, advertisement, uh, sometimes it's harder than others, but hopefully sometimes in your devotions you'll say, Bowers, uh, Lord, I'm, I'm praying for Bowers Box. You know? Because um, I'm just like you. Good days and bad days. Sometimes it rains. Sometimes it sleets. Uh, on and on. I, you know, confront all those challenges. Yeah. But essentially, that's uh, what covers most of my time uh, here on uh, the, the mornings that I'm here studying, which is generally uh, Monday through uh, Friday, um, because I work some on Saturday, and obviously on Sunday, uh, I'm, I'm breaking Friday around noon. I'm kind of spent. I'm locking the door. Um, um, I say I quit. <laughs> I'll be back Sunday. So uh, that's kind of my that's kind of my general approach. Okay, but it's my desire that in some manner or form, and sometimes it's more intense than others. You you are saying God spoke to me, and and be very careful about the word spoke because he doesn't. I believe that revelation has ceased, but. He illumines his scripture, his scripture to us. So God illuminates what He spoke thousands of years ago uh, to you uh, uh, for your for your particular needs and your particular circumstances. Okay. Uh, so we meet God in the Scriptures. Any any questions over? Uh, yes, Tom. Well, I mean, generally, so that's a very valid question, very valid concern. Generally, when, um, uh, because literary uh, conventions are always changing, and language is always changing, isn't it? There's no one-to-one correspondence between our language today and what was spoken in England 500 years ago. Okay? So language, so... So scholars generally get together, form a committee. Um, uh, hey, you over there, you're an expert on the book of Revelation. I want you to translate Revelation for this new uh, 
uh, new translation we want to bring. So we have all these different translations. Just see them for what they are, translations. I happen to like the New American Standard. But I'm not commanding you to, that's, you know, you, you know what you like best, what works for you. There's a lot of great ones. I just can't say, but generally speaking, uh, Tom, uh, those, those committees are uh, uh, following, you know, their own conventions and, you know, guidelines and they're doing scholarly work. Uh, some translations are paraphrases. Occasionally I will, I will look at a paraphrase. Okay? Um, but when I'm doing my studies, I'm, I'm trying to struggle with uh, uh, case of the New Testament to Greek, Old Testament to Hebrew. Uh, imperfectly, but nevertheless, that's what, by and large, the majority of the scriptures were written in. There was some Aramaic, uh, the book of Daniel. Um, so I don't know if that gave you a little bit of insight, Tom, but generally the committees uh, are under a lot of discipline. Generally there's a general editor, you know, um, and they come out of the Christian Academy particularly at the graduate school level, you know. I mean, when I was taking classes at Dallas Seminary, I mean, I was, uh, you know, one of my professors, Old Testament scholar, Bruce Walkey, this guy was an incredible Hebrew scholar. I, I don't know if he's still alive, but uh, certainly now he's elderly. And same thing with Greek. So, um, God gives those men to the church, by the way. He raises them up. They go through serious academic preparation. They should be. Uh, and uh, uh, when I read that, when I read Jude 3, guess what's happening to the Christian Academy? It's under attack too. Okay. So, there's, so you have to be really careful. You have to know what you're looking for. Okay. You know, some of y'all are going to move geographically at some point. You're going to find another church. What is your view of the Scriptures? That's a central question. Any other questions? Okay. Uh, okay, so next time, the Lord willing, we're going to start Roman numeral 2, the person of God. And I'd like you to read the first three chapters in Pink's Attributes of God. Fairly easy read. Um, you won't gnash your teeth. And uh, we're going to start looking at the person of God. Uh, who is this God of the Scriptures? And uh, what is He like? What are His attributes, His characteristics? Okay. Uh, to me, a, very, to me a, a fun study. But that's kind of where we are. Okay, well let's, uh, I've gone maybe a, a minute over. Let's close a uh, word of prayer. I ask God's uh, continued blessing on our study. Uh, our Father, uh, prosper us uh, for uh, we know the purpose of the Scriptures, that they're profitable uh, to our souls. And may our souls profit uh, our souls in this study. As we turn our attention from the Word uh, to uh, the study of our great God, uh, again, cause us to grow in affection and esteem and reverence and respect. Uh, for this is the God who has uh, saved us by His Son. And uh, may we always treasure that. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.